Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Knives Monroe, and today I am with someone that I'm meeting for the first time, Christine Chen. Christine, how you doing? Good. Technically, we met virtually. I remember you reaching out to me, I think, was it on Instagram or on Facebook? I have no clue, but yeah. I was like, I don't know who this Knives Monroe guy is, but like, I like his name, and <laughs> sure, let's, let's, let's do something, and that's all. Then I don't know what happened, but then mm. like, then you kept developing, and, and, and then... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would see the work that you were putting in. I mean, I think we're just good marketers, apparently. And that's what connected us. Yeah. And people that like the same things tend to like each other, I think. I think I that's a good assumption. I saw that you were a legit filmmaker. And I was like, okay, this is rare. Someone that's speaking my language. Uh, I'm a master of of multiple things. You know what I mean? Um, do you act in front of the camera? Sometimes. Um, I, I started to because I didn't want to like it's one less person that I have to like cast for. I know. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I can play, play the babysitter. Yeah. I can play the doctor. I've played many doctors. And then now because uh, I AD so much, there's always a time when they're like, we need just one more person. I'll be like, I'll do it. Yeah. Yep, so that's, so that's how I end up in front of the camera. That's me. So I want to get into how you became so busy and I want to see if you can, help me and the listeners maybe give us some gems and, and see, you know, I'm very big on unearthing people's secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, if people have all the answers, they're not going to do anything with it. But some do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get there, um, talk to me about your origin story. I mean, where were you born? Where did you come from? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in what you say, like a pretty traditional Asian American family. And by traditional, I mean, any kind of stereotype that you can think of that Asians have, I probably do. So, so like good at math, good at science. Um, wanted my parents wanted me to be uh, a doctor and everything but a filmmaker. Um, in fact, that was never a part of the vocab at all. So, uh, I parents together. Uh, yes, yes, that's and great. So, yeah, no, they're awesome. Um, and they did. They're immigrants from Taiwan. And uh, they did the best they could, and honestly, they they've succeeded. You know, brought up two kids, my brother and I. My brother's a doctor, uh, orthopedic surgeon, so they got one of those at least. It's a big deal. Yeah, and so, uh, and I'm I was kind of the black sheep. I I always <laughs> just loved create creative stuff, you know. And so, at a very young age, at a very young age, I think like. Um, I, I remember very vaguely that I said I wanted to be an actor. I, I, very, very, I didn't know what that is, you know. Um, so it's funny how that worked out. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I was on the track to being some sort of engineer slash or, you know, doctor or, or whatnot. So film is an anomaly. So, Are there any creatives inside of your family? I would say they, my, my mom dabbles and on her side of the family, She's the one with like my cousins from that side have teach piano mm. or so there's some music involved and stuff. And then like it wasn't that they didn't believe in creativity, they just didn't believe in creativity as a yes, as a money maker. As a source of income. Exactly. But so. to be fair, it was I think it was way harder thirty years ago. Yeah. Exactly. You have to think of the context of what was going on and, and how our parents grew up and it was never that your work was always just a means to survival and it wasn't a means to the passion or anything so may i ask you how many birthdays have you had how many birthdays i am 35 
you're, you're my you're my wife's age. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, you know, talk to me about the moment, if there was a singular moment that you can recall where you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because I can trace it to an exact moment. Um, I had taken my first legit film class in undergrad. I went to Rice University for undergraduate. Where is that? Rice University is in Houston. Oh, okay. So I was there, and uh, it was a documentary film class. And I knew I loved it because the amount of time proportionally that I spent on this one class versus my other eight classes was, like, stupid. It was, like, 80% this this one documentary class and, like, 20 everything else. 10 everything else and 10, like, life. So uh, when I got out of it, when I graduated, I felt something was missing. And I knew I didn't want to do the real job that I was doing, which when I got out of undergrad, I was an IT business consultant. And I took that job because I heard that consulting, you got to travel. And I did. But that was the, literally the only thing I liked about the job. It was just not for me. And uh, like any kid who's like, I don't know, I don't like this. What's their next step? Oh, I'll go back to school, right? Mm. And I thought, what would I do? And I don't know, but being a lawyer was the thing that crossed my brain uh, that seemed acceptable. Uh, and so I decided, okay, well, if I have to go to law school, I'd take the LSATs and the universe has a funny way of shining down on you. So I, <laughs> I took an LSAT prep course and my LSAT prep course professor was a filmmaker. Thank God. And he was like, hey, we're doing the 40-hour film challenge in Houston. Do you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, you be a PA. I don't know what that is. So, Because you got to understand, at that time, I touched everything film-wise. I did the camera work. I did the editing. I did everything. I never worked with a team prior to that. Mm. So, Because narrative and documentary are very, very different. That's so right. that was my first experience working with a team of filmmakers so i get on set and i'm like there's a person that like does the focus, focus. thingy like what is this what world? year what, what year is yeah. this this was in 2004 i'm thinking 2004 yeah were you like, guys filming on dv or was it 16 millimeter so to, to backtrack sorry 2008 was very wrong so i i graduated from t in 2007 okay Got it. so um Mini DV mm -hmm. was the, the little ones mm -hmm. were uh, had just come come out not too long ago, um, and so they were taking that the big HD cameras and shrinking them down, and that's how I did my docs were on these little tiny um, HD uh, mini DVs, and so it it was on that like a mini mini DV. What yeah. what kind of subjects were you making documentaries about? I had made a documentary in China. Um, one of those like, oh, I don't know what I was doing. And then I like, fell into this amazing opportunity. So luck. Yeah. Um, the university was sponsoring three different documentaries by uh, people of that um, language. And so they made a documentary for in France for a French speaker. Um, and then mine was Mandarin. I speak Mandarin fluently. Um, that was literally the only criteria that I fulfilled but I had taken because I had taken that one documentary film class I was a filmmaker as well so I fulfilled that criteria and so um, when they were looking for oh we're looking for Mandarin speaking uh, filmmakers I was like I am one and uh, 
yeah, I got to go to Lijiang, China, which is like close to Tibet area in the Yunnan province, uh, to make a documentary for a month there. Wow. For like, they paid us to do that. They like, we got to go there for a whole month. And I, I did not know what kind of opportunity. This is a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, I needed, wish I told myself that to my 20 something year old self. When you're that age, you're like, well, of course, this is just what happens. Yeah, I'm entitled (laughs) to this. Isn't it crazy how, how long before you had another big W like that? Um, I would say after that, I parlayed that experience and I was like, oh, universities will pay for stuff if you can make it some sort of benefit to the university. So I went, when I went to business school, which is, I'll get to there, um, at UT, I got my MBA at McCombs. I pitched, well, my professor and I pitched that I make something for McCombs for their international program. So I got to go to India and do something like that too. Wow. But uh, so lucky. Yes. That's so cool. That was smart. Yes. So where did you get this, the savviness? Cause some, I mean, there's a lot of filmmakers. We, you know, some of us learn, okay, videography or yeah. photography or just editing. We kind of stay in our lane. And then I've noticed, you know, here we are in 2021. Now you have to know everything, not just that, but you also need to know the business side. Yes. And you kind of have to know how to market yourself. I think we were talking about that off mic. I mean, how did you learn that savviness of like, I got to go out and I got to get it. Yeah. I got to put these things together. Well, I think my mind i've always had an entrepreneurial spirit um it's funny enough probably born out of rebellion from my parents really do you Um, you have a contentious relationship with them no we we're in a good we're in a good spot now we're just we have very different mindsets in terms of like what we want for each other or for what they want for me um and none of it's bad it's just a bunch of norms. Yes, they're very norms. And I'm very much like, well, you know, I want to do this instead. And uh, an example, uh, high, and, and it all worked out and turned out for the better. I, I was able to flip it for something better. So to an extent, I thank them for giving me these barriers, obstacles per se, that I was able to creatively go around that made it a better experience. So I, in high school... You know, I, I wanted to be financially independent. and In high school? Yeah, because I was like, because I knew very early on the financial independence meant that my parents had less control of me. Very fa- Yes, because they would always use that as a threat. Like, oh, well, that you'll live at home or like you're never going to. And put, so we put the food on the table, exactly, this, the roof over yeah, your head. So you got to do what we say. So I've quickly associated <laughs> money meant they can control me. So I, if I could control that factor, I had more control. Mm-hmm. And so in high school, uh, I, I really wanted a job and, uh, they're like, so I did get one, uh, um, just out of, just by my own fruition. It was just like a retail type thing. And my parents were flabbergasted at the $6 per hour minimum wage. You're like, you're not going to waste your time doing this, you know, type thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, but so then I created my own job where I made $40 an hour. I taught piano. So, um, very smart. So, but that was born out of this, like, mom, dad, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to work, you know, and yeah. type thing. So, so then, then I really started to understand like the value of entrepreneurship. And so from there on, um, I, I, <laughs> funny, I one year worked 
I sold Cutco knives. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I yeah. was really good at it too. I never got to sell one, but I was in the presentation. Okay. I got to see them cut the penny. Yes, cut the penny and the <laughs> rope and the leather. Oh, yeah. I was very good at it. Were you? I was very good at what's, it. What's like, uh, can you tell me like the biggest payday you ever got selling from Cutco? Yeah, I sold like the ultimate, you know, the giant like <laughs> ultimate kit. Yeah, kit. And at that point, I worked my way up where I was getting 40% commission because i've sold that much oh yeah you, you make the tears and stuff and and uh if people know me i'm highly competitive uh and that's probably just by the way it was trained and brought up and uh so when you put a tier system i'm always aiming for the biggest tier system no matter what and so um, yeah, I got to 40%. They were asking me to be a regional manager, and I was just like, eh, I'm kind of bored now. So, been there, done that. You yeah, conquered it. I did it. Yeah, I did it. I made my goal, and wow. I'm done. So, but I learned a lot from that experience of like, I literally, there were people in there that had like families that gave a crap about what they did, and I gave them all their con. I had zero contacts. My parents were like, no, we're not telling anybody that you do this. <laughs> and so I went through my elementary, middle school, and high school phone books, you know, the school phone books, mm -hmm. called up people that I hadn't talked to in a while and be like, hey, I went to school with your daughter, you know, cold calls, cold calls, yourself, my, yes, created myself, your, warmed up your own leads, myself, yeah. And Damn. then I took this very seriously. I got in contact with the, I guess they have business bureau meetings like there's local business bureau I got onto business bureau meetings Whoa. I think they just let me in there because they thought it was really hilarious that this like high school girl was selling knives and like taking this to this so seriously that she wanted to go to the business bureau meetings well don't sell yourself short because <laughs> confidence can get ourselves into doors I sold okay just on, my, on, on at audacity alone I agree on yeah. my way to a showing I was speeding and a cop pulled me over. I sold him. <laughs> Shut up. No way. No, no I way. I kid you not. Oh, no way. He was like, what are you, why are you in such a hurry? I was like, well, okay. The funny thing is like, I'm on the way to show these knives and they're awesome. Do you want to see them? They're in my back seat. And then he was like, yeah, sure. Are they the cut the penny con? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll try. And then he was like, these are really cool. Yeah. I sold him something. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is insane. So, yeah. So all these little things you know, Steve Jobs always says you retroactively you can connect the dots, dots and they lead to some path. Don't think that you always have to follow the same path. Sometimes you have to retroact retroactively connect the dots and you'll see your path. And and I feel like that's been me. It's that I have had all these different experiences that seemingly have no connection to each other, yet they're very connected. Are you so, spiritual? Yeah, I would say that. Do you believe in a great algorithm in the sky? I think so. I think there's something there. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to quantify, yeah. right? Um, the reason why I ask is you seem like a very thoughtful, uh, empathic, spiritual person. You even having to, you know, the wherewithal to want to connect the dots. Yeah. There's a reason for that. You're trying to find order in the chaos, right? It's yeah, the, meaning so. in things. Meaning, yes. Um, you mentioned Steve Jobs. Did you have influences or, or heroes growing up? Like maybe that, that sort of had blueprints of, oh, I can go down this path? Sure. Not to tell you the truth, not really. Like nobody in my family was doing it. I think it was literally just the pure love 
I nothing made me happier. So maybe it was for selfish reasons. Like, okay, talk to me about this because I've had moments where, in my heart, I'm like, I'm I'm retired. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Why am I doing this? It's I, I hate it. Like I've had those moments where, as much as I love fil you know filmmaking and it's provided me so much and given so much to my circle, you know, I've just been like, what am I? What's this all for? Fuck all yeah. this. And I've never had to like, I've never been the type of person that's like, mom, I'm going to win an Academy Award. I, th those kind of carrots aren't my thing. And if yeah. there's somebody else's thing, wonderful. For me, it was just the the, the legitimacy. I wanted to be uh, validated, I think, okay. by something or someone. But I've had moments where post-validation where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing this for? The love. I mean, how do you, how do you refall in love? Like, how do you hold on to that fire sometimes? Because for me, Right now it's burning bright, but I've had moments where it's it's dying. I understand that. Um, I think there, I think it's not reasonable to say that that despite loving what you do, that there are days that it's going to feel like a job, and it will. And I think you just have to keep going back to like, why did you want to do it in the first place, right? Yeah. What what is it about it that you loved? And then finding something. It's like rekindling the relationship. If you have a relationship, right, when you're married, and I, I'm not married, but you are. Good for you. But and when you're married and you've been with that one person forever, how do you rekindle the the first time you meet spirit, it's right? Exa it's exactly what you said. You treat yeah. it like you're in the beginning. Exactly, and and that's how I think about um, with film. It's like I think when you really love something, you realize there's always something to learn, and when you can find something that you – don't know anything about again then it becomes exciting and so an example if i did so many feature films and i'm like so bored of it what would i do i've never worked on film before mm, really maybe i will do a whole film using film that's something different um or uh swap swapping genres you know i swap genres all the time because i'm always trying to learn different styles and, and play and and uh you know there are people who just like oh i just do drama or i do i'm very much like i'm most interested in the characters within it and the and how they grow versus yes. like what genre it is absolutely you know? and so um if you if you look through a body my body of work you know i'm on my first stuff was comedy and then I go to a thriller and then I go to a string of dramas. Now I'm back to a fantastical thriller, you know? So like, this is exciting. It's to all hear. over. Yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's changing. And, and I, so if I just pick on something that I've never touched or learned or want to learn more about, then the excitement comes back. Let's go back to, to China and India. Um, how did your postgrad already? Yes. You get these opportunities. They're paid. Yeah. So are you in charge is it your responsibility where like the shelf life of these films, where they go, the, the, the success they are like, what does the win look like? Sure. Um, for the China and the India. So I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I figured I it's, it's a lot probably to ask for. should have submitted my stuff to festivals, but I, to be real, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what film festivals were. Who owned these films that you were making at the time? technically the school does yeah and so yeah. what what was their plan what, what were they going to do with that so rice so i heard is still using my film to teach class incredible which is that's a great shelf insane. life right there yeah so their whole purpose was um how do we teach the language in a 
interesting dual way and you can also teach the culture of it so the doc i think it's pretty genius um the documentary we fell into it and uh like i said it was done in lichang when we went there it was 10 years after this really horrific earthquake like seismic seven or something really bad and prior to this earthquake it was like a hole in the wall time almost like you like like time was standing still in that place you know carts with horses pulled you know like because people it there was no need to change mm. and once the hurt not hurricane once the earthquake hit it put it on the map because it made it a national international like we need to help this place and then yeah. people went and were like wow this place is amazing let's make a unesco world protected spot then mm. tourism flooded in and then they before you know it's there's skyscrapers hotels and everything you know do you think that's good so that was the debate in my in my documentary. Wow. Whether that's good or not. Whether it's so the, the the topic was whether cultural preservation is whether that's good if it's completely inauthentic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You were I, I dude, I'm not even that deep right now as a thirty two year old <laughs> to really tackle a subject like that. And you were doing that I mean, in your twenties? Yeah. Insane. So what was the the thesis that you landed on. I think on. I never, I think I lean towards that it's preservation either way. So it's kind of like the way I think of it is sometimes you need to make it a fad to make something stick. How do you mean? So think of it, recycling, right? Do you think there are people who are going to recycle, recycle because fundamentally they really believe in that, right? But there are people who are going to do it because, hey, it's everybody else is doing it and it's cool now, you know, and like, oh, these, and, and it's beneficial to my business to look like I care about recycling by doing the cool, like trash cans. I have the, yeah. you know, green but, initiative. Yeah. Initiative. Let's, we're going green. That looks great on marketing, the fad. Right. But mm. then after a while you do it and it becomes a habit. It's a, it sticks. Right. Mm -hmm. So, it's kind of the same way. It's like your end goal is to preserve culture. Yes, maybe initially you did it for marketing reasons or for um, your own whatever benefit, but in the end, you still achieved the same goal, right? You'd still mm. preserved the culture. Now, some people are going to say, well, because it put the place on the map. It put the place on the map and people yeah. cared about it's it. It's relevant now. Yes, yeah, exactly. And now we're talking about the meaning to this day. Yes. Wow. So, Do you think the culture gets to stay intact? I think. Should cultures, but then there's be the stagnant? other thing. There is another thing that's like there's a natural order of things, right? Where there is a reason why certain things die out, and <laughs> right. So yeah, it's yeah. it's weird. It's yeah. weird because it's like, are we? You mean playing? like Rome? Yeah, you know. So I I don't know. I I was very mixed about it, but I think in the end, when I think about it, I just I think it's better than it dying out. Yeah, in my opinion. By this time, when you were making these documentaries, had you had you had a moment where you're like, I think I'm pretty good at this? No, not yet. <laughs> when did that moment come? So, so I had the doc stage, and then I decided to go narrative when I jumped in the, onto that 48 Why? hour film because the team aspect mm. part was so mind blowing, hmm. like just 
I think I would sit and stare at people like look doing their jobs. So I was like, wow, this person's just doing this little wheel thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm a man, right? And naturally I'm poisoned by testosterone. Yeah. So there's an ego in everything unconsciously sometimes. When you're approaching this team element, are you like, I'm going to be the, as a competitive person, I'm going to be the director, the leader of this team? Or are you like, I'm going to be a wallflower in the beginning? I, in the beginning, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. So I was okay to to watch um but then when i started to get into it then i knew like i'm going to be the director like really yeah yeah um and i think it's just i was just fascinated by every aspect of filmmaking i think that's the whole like finding something new again about filmmaking was now i had instead of me with the camera editing and everything it was a whole team of different departments that i get to learn about you know and uh it was after that that i did like a string of very not successful short films and never saw the light of day Mm -hmm. um and then then when i moved to austin that's when i to do my grad school degree that's when i really became very 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 serious about it um prior to that was like let's let's see what narrative filmmaking is about and like kind of just had dabbled at it. And um, I learned very quickly from my first short film experience that I tried to make that you don't hire people based off of what they have. You hire based off of the people. So I had a whole team that Mm -hmm. I completely could not stand, but they, I hired them because they had access to equipment Mm -hmm. and that killed the project. It always um, does. Yeah, it always does because it's like it's a respect thing. They don't respect you. You don't res- don't respect them. They don't respect your work, right? Right. So and and so that was why the first project fell apart. The second one only fell apart because I didn't control the editing process. Yeah. Doesn't this hurt? So I learned very fast yep. what process I needed to control, and I had that. And that's why when I talk to filmmakers and stuff, I, I always stress, if you can learn to edit, and, mm-hmm. I, and I did because of my, what well, I think my documentary background, yeah. you can control your work and mm-hmm. the deliverables, which is the, you know, the end product. Can you talk to me about the biggest failure that you've had in filmmaking? The biggest failure? Or failures. Failures. I, I would say those were pretty big because those are the only things I never finished. Hmm. Everything else I've always finished. So I would say the biggest failures are things I don't, that, that didn't finish. What was the resistance? To finishing it? Um, While you're connecting the dots looking back. Sure. The first one was definitely that I just I had such a negative experience that it just made everything negative. And it became not fun because every time I would look at the project, I would keep thinking, this is not what I wanted. And yeah, I, you I hate know that feeling. Saying? I've been there. Yeah. I hate that feeling. Um, I have blown up the boat that I'm on yeah. with everybody else on it because of that reason. Yeah. And you think, and I, and I learned the lesson the hard way, an expensive lesson as well. You know, don't make something and invest money and time and people's time in something you don't love exactly and all the good things and the baggage that comes with love drive hunger obsession waking up in the morning being a good leader all these things that that's what comes with love giving more than you're taking all of a sudden i'm like i don't get 
why did I write this? I don't care about this, right. you know, anymore. It's not worth the bullshit. Yeah. You know, and then so you cut your losses. Yep. That's what what I did. And and it, I, I regret I look back and I know why I did it. But why then, you did what? You cut it cut your losses? Cut my losses. But now I think about it, I'm like, I should have gotten over myself and just instead thought about like what about the other all the other people that put in the time. Did you have the skill, experience, knowledge to to know how to do that then? Because that's that's right. That's today, Christine. Knowing that now, I know I didn't have the leadership capabilities to yeah. to do that at the time. I can admit that now. I probably could have. I just wasn't willing to put in the time. Mm. Was it petty? Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of that, that's, and also a little bit of, of a little bit of like this is not my work. Like you know, like I'm, but but yeah, there are other people who put in that time, and I should have respected that. So that's why, to me, it was a failure. Yeah. Um. The second one, the second one, there were other universal. There were things that were working against us. Like what? Uh, so, like I said, I didn't, couldn't control the the editing. Uh, my friend edited it on Avid, which I did not have. So when I moved to Austin, it just got lost because he already had some of it edited, but he had other projects that he had. A, by that time, I had to get, go on. So then by the time I was ready to be like, hey, just give me the pro- – I'll just start start from scratch. The f- files had already, like, corrupted or, like, from from time. And just – it just – it wasn't meant to Isn't be. Isn't it terrible that it's gone? It is. All you have is the memory of it? I, I at least have a trailer from it. <laughs> you're, speak, you're speaking my language. I, my listeners have heard me, and I don't want to go through this and unless you want to, but – in 2014, I made a movie. I wrote it in January. We casted it in February. We shot it in March. I cut it in April. We screened it in May. It was just so fast. It was a feature film. Yeah. And it was a disaster. And I don't have a copy of that movie today. I've only seen it like the two times we screened it. Yeah. And But I got a trailer. That's all I have. And so it, it feels like... It feels like like a lost limb or something. I, it, I, I can't even it, say it was a, yeah. like a child. I can't even say that because it doesn't exist right now. And I would love one day to go to Redbox and I see it, you yeah. know, cause these producers that I made the movie with decided to cut me out, you know, and I get it, but I would never do that. Right. I would never do that as a leader, especially as the writer director. I, I did everything on that yeah. fucking movie. Um, I would never do that today, but boy, did I must have, I must have burned them real bad, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's ego on both sides, but that crushed me. I mean, I, I saw a counselor after that. I had a mental breakdown. I had my, my child around that time. Yeah. And it was just, I was, I spent eight grand. That was a lot of money. I was working at Burger King was my day job. I, I get you. You know, I was just, I was dying, man. And there was a while for like a year. So not only did that happen, but I was also going through this existential crisis of like what being a filmmaker in the modern age is, you know, when you when you have YouTube and, and all these things. I'm like, what is happening? Are you familiar with Joe Swanberg? Mm-mm. He's this DIY filmmaker that is responsible, I think, for this genre called mumblecore, okay. which is just very talky, clerks-esque, kind yeah. of like cheap filmmaking dogma kind of thing. And I was just an, I, I was like an elitist as a filmmaker coming up. I was like, cinema. It's not a movie, it's a film. Cinema. I was that guy. And I was seeing these kids come up on Vine 
and make careers. And I'm like, but that's not, I don't want to go on Vine because yeah. that's not cinema. I don't want to go on YouTube because that's, that's not so cinema. I was very opposite. Of that. that held me back for a long time yeah. until I had, and also I was jaded and, and a bitter, which is just amplified self-pity. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful, I learned. Um, and around this time where I'm like, do I even want to make movies? Like, what is a movie? Like, what is going on? Yeah. But the industry did kind of change. Like, the the indie dream that I had in, in, in 2004, like, filmmaking is not that today. Right. It's it's weird. Everything's on screens. If you made a movie and you put it on Amazon Prime, I'm going to watch it in the comfort of my home. Whether if it's, if it's on YouTube or Netflix, it's all the same delivery the system. Same. So I was precious about that. And yeah. it really held me back. For you, it sounds like it... That was the opposite. Of Tell that. me more about that because you're a pioneer. <laughs> I, I was totally the opposite of that. I just wanted, to, I would just wanted anything that I could get my hands on to, to, to have a voice. I think was what, what it was, and um, call it pent up expression that I didn't get to have, and it just felt like with film, it was the one place I could say whatever I wanted, and it was fine. I would be okay, you know, and people would appreciate that and so when the youtube craze came out i i i for a brief moment thought i'm going to be a youtube star i really did think that did, um, did you think that you'd be a director visionary person or you'd be the personality in front of the camera i think it, it was always director -esque. i don't think i ever I, I never had aspirations to be like a personality really um i i think because you remember freddie wong Yes, I love Freddie Wong. My hero. He's my hero. He, he was one of the guys that he, he this guy changed my life with one YouTube video. Uh, people would always ask him, "What camera are you using? Yeah. What what software are you using to edit?" And he was just like, "That shit doesn't matter." Doesn't matter. He's like, "Eventually, get good on one, you move to the other." If you guys want to know, I use this camera. If you want to use, if you want to know, I use this editing system. And he said, "And I've been trying to find the video. I don't know if it exists. It was like a Q and A thing from 2010." And he said, filmmaking is a language. And so you need to become fluent in that language. It's just a language. Mm -hmm. And the more you speak it, the better and more fluent you get. So yeah. go out there and go get some reps, right? And I was like, well, then well then that means I can do stuff on YouTube because it counts because it's, yes. it's it's all the language, language, man. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know? And so that was a massive unlock. Freddie seems to be doing great. Man, that's so funny. I was a huge fan of Freddie Wong. I think he's the Robert Rodriguez of our era. Yeah. I was I, I watched their stuff. I watched Film Riot stuff. Film Riot. I think they're Austin they're still, guys. Yeah. Oh, are they Austin? Or I know they're definitely Austin or Dallas. Yeah. Gosh, I I was a huge fan of them. Still am. You know, um, when Casey Neistat blew up, I was a huge fan of game him. Game changer. Game yeah, changer. Game changer. Just yeah, I think like, he's the um, like the uh, what's his name? The guy who did a band of par. Um, uh, French filmmaker, French New Wave guy. I can't remember his name. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> John Luc Godard. Okay. This guy who just created a whole new wave. Yeah. Like this new wave was created by Casey. Like, yeah. It's a, it's a whole new genre, like you said, genre. Yeah. But yeah. No, but I figured out the language part pretty fast. Um, hmm. And I was whatever I could do to speak the language was 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 kind of the game plan. And so when YouTube came and I saw the power of what that was, I really took to it. And uh, so that probably that hit me when I was starting business school. Mm. Um, so business school, I went because out of rebellion, for my parents, <laughs> uh, I 
had to think of a way to you, get... you gotta claim your autonomy <laughs> yeah your independence exactly and i had to i had to figure out a way how do i get out of society without having to have a job per se but still not be considered a bum by my parents and they would still support me to an extent. Okay. This right here is the dream. Did you pull it off? <laughs> yeah, I did. I am. Um, I was like, I'm just going to go to business school. <laughs> mm. What'd you learn? Um, I learned that that was probably one of the smartest things I did uh, because it afforded me the freedom to, I made a lot of films when I was in mm. business school uh, and not cinema per se but i made a lot of youtube type i practiced my writing i learned how to work with actors and what kind of stuff were you making like, that. like youtube sketches really I, sketches? I had a whole like smosh kind of stuff i guess it's what you would call it yeah like um i had a whole thing um of mba branded content so like funny sh like shit mba say mm, or like, like I, college humor college humor yes there we go. um i did a music video called getting my mba to the sound of jizz my pants i wrote <laughs> like, yeah some music hey lonely yeah. island man i love lonely island so much <laughs> like i love lonely island yeah they nailed um, it they're geniuses they're geniuses like i love lonely island and and then i did just just I, I figured out, and this is what I'm good at. I, I figured out how to use what I had and to make the most out of it. And at that point, it was my my colleagues at, at in class. So like I didn't have access to actors and stuff like that. And well, I didn't know how to. And so I used what I had and made it work, basically. So um, yeah. So and then from there, started to expand my stories, um, better written comedy content then i started to meet actors you know from uh i think the first thing i was some music video that i casted and and kelsey probilski was one of the, the the actors actresses that i met on there who's like blowing up now and uh she came in became kind of like a muse where i like wrote a lot of sketches from there and we just did like so many sketches and what i was realizing is my stories were getting more complicated and i was naturally coming out of the youtube like youtube the youtube language no longer served what i wanted to do anymore what do you mean by that um i wanted it, things to be more cinematic i wanted um longer form i wanted so it was no longer the two to three minute you know type thing like i was growing beyond that and that's when i f fell into true cinema narrative filmmaking i would say around what year was this uh let's see here so i did youtube stuff all through business school so 2012 is when I, when I graduated that was a really beautiful time to grow i feel it was great i was yeah. i was getting some reps in around that time as well yeah and also that was time too like you could get a lot of traction yeah like now you put something on youtube you can barely get any views but then like you put something out you get like thousands of views like yeah. immediately because there was not enough content. Yep. Um, and yeah, so I made so much stuff from 2010 to 2012. I would say there was this um, summer that I was able to spend in LA. I was interning as part of my MBA. Uh, I found a creative internship with 20th Century Fox in LA. And that was my like, let's try this out, shall we type thing. Wow. And uh, my parents were like, no. Still? 
Yeah. Still resistance from them? They're, they've been so resistant all the way. I can pinpoint when they stopped, too. So, okay. Well, yeah. we'll put a pin in that. I'm, so, I want to yeah. get there. I can't. I can't no, they were or... not happy. And they're like, you figure out how to survive if you you're crash and burn. You're traveling like, the world and you're self-sufficient. Yeah, they didn't not see that. Not good enough for them. They didn't see that. So they're <sighs> like, you know, you, you figure this out. If you crash and burn, it's your own fault. Like, don't come crawling back to us kind of thing. So I was like, I'm going to figure it out. So I go and I'm like, shit, I have to make rent in LA. How do I do that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so nice. I lived like a call, you know, I, I lived in a one room. There were two people in it. So it was like $500 for rent, which yeah. was like, okay, that's doable. And um, I just said, yes. What were you doing for cash? I did. I said yes to a lot of stuff. So, but because of, because I wasn't given that I learned even more because I had to survive. Right. That's right. And so I said yes to all sorts of editing jobs. So I did lots of editing for very little money. I said yes to sitting in the audience. You know, they do that. They pay you to sit in the, as an audience mm -hmm. member. Like you make $8 an hour just sitting there. And, and that was mind blowing. Cause I was like, Whoa, like it's sitting in this MTV, whatever, as an audience, I'm getting paid $8 an hour. Is these and sorry. It's like chatting like up on the stage. This is badass. Mm. Um, I said yes to, I just said yes to a lot of stuff. And then I also also interning, which was uh, paying me a total of two thousand for the three months I was there. <laughs> Gotta love the stipend. <laughs> but at least there was something. Something. There was something. But what that allowed me to do was like, I don't understand boundaries. So like mm. this, they would say this is your job, and I would, I I'm very good at eavesdropping. And, you know, one day my mentee, my mentor is like complaining that he has to work on the weekend and, uh, and be, he has to do some sort of director's interview series. And I was like, I'm, I'll come and help. He was like, it's the weekend. I was like, so, and so I got to like chat with Cameron Crowe, wow. you know, and stuff. he's like complaining about this. And I'm like, this is the coolest experience ever. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so I, that's the luck, but like creating your own luck opportunity thing. That's right. And so I was just hungry. I was so hungry for stuff in LA and I made friends with, I had uh, actor friends. And so they were all part of SAG. So I, then I got to go to all the SAG events and then meet people through that. And then because there were a bunch of actors, they were hungry. So then anytime we would sit around, and just be hanging out and I'd be like, wouldn't it be funny if, and then insert log line. And then we would be making that like in 10 minutes, like from saying that mm -hmm. to like, yeah, because I had my I brought my camera. I had I had everything in. That's the best yeah. feeling. That right there is everything. Yeah, and I can't you just live in that pocket forever? It was beautiful. Yeah, and how much I improved as a filmmaker yep. in those few months was exponential. I believe because it. of that. I believe it because I was surrounded by people who were hungry, who wanted to do stuff just as much as I wanted to, in a environment that had a lot of opportunities in terms of access you guys were not judging yourselves no we weren't and and we were just having fun and because of that like i just made stuff after stuff and that was when i was testing myself and so this is the point where was, when you were just asking when did you know that you were good enough to do it well i was like well I, let me see let me prove to myself i can do this and i set this goal so at that point there was this company called pop tent mm. pop tent there is a similar company now, I forgot what's that has survived, but Pop Tent was this genius idea of combine of um, allowing brands and filmmakers to find a happy medium. So 
they would go to brands, ask them for a creative brief. What do you need right now? Mm-hmm. And they would put out a creative brief. Then they would make it a competition for filmmakers to submit specs. It was off. Very brilliant. I don't know why it didn't succeed. It's genius now. It's it was, extremely they were too early. Genius. Is what it was it too like. early. I think what it was. And so, so it was. And they would be paying like five thousand dollars for your spec, which is a shit ton of money for a filmmaker, mm-hmm. but nothing to a brand. It was a genius idea, and so I started competing in those because you know I'm competitive, and so uh, PayPal. I did some specs. Uh, Clinique, I did specs, and I won some of these. Hell yeah. And so then so then it became, I was no longer just a nobody. I was a filmmaker that has worked with brands like Clinique and PayPal, you yep. know? And uh, and I've made all these during this period in, in L.A. And yeah, I remember going to the mall with my, par- with my mom and seeing my Shut film up. playing on the Clinique counter. That's the best. Yeah, and I was like, look, I'm legit. Yeah, but I fell into that, you know? Like, it wasn't, be- like, I didn't, and that was when you I- You didn't fall into it, you jumped into I it. I jumped into it, yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> you were hungry, you were not judging yourself, you were going all in, you were saying yes to everything. That's the magic yes sauce. Yeah, I said yes to everything. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I can I can do this. Yeah, I, I know I can do this, like- this LA was what was when 2010, 2012? 2011. 2011. 2011. Yeah. I was fucking around in 2011. <laughs> 2011. I was, I was trying. Yes. I was making some YouTube stuff, but man, you were, I try not to compare myself to other people, but it's really so inspiring. The balls it takes to do all those things. Yeah, I was just having fun. Massive. Just yeah. Guts, though. It takes guts to live in a $500 um, rent studio apartment with two other people or another yeah. person. Like, most women don't have the guts to do that for obvious reasons. Yeah. You know? I kind of was, did it, ignorance too, right? You know, a little bit. <laughs> God, I, I, I love think, ignorance. Yeah, I didn't think that was a bad idea. But now I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, that could have been really dangerous. I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't. Um, but yeah, no, I just jumped right in and, and I learned so much. Why didn't you say, fuck it, I'm going to live in LA? I thought about that. Honestly, I, my life would have been so different, but I like, but would have been, I really, really, really was like, I don't want to leave LA. I love it here. I had so much fun. What, I didn't understand why people had so much hate towards LA. You know, jaded. Like, jaded, I guess. But I, I was, I was making stuff. I was making money. I was surviving, and like I loved it. But I think what it was was I had talked to a friend, and he was like, "What do you want to do?" And at that point, I honestly didn't know. If I was going to, if I was a direct, I still wasn't sure that was what I exactly, I just knew I wanted to make films and I didn't know what capacity that was. And he was like, and I, and I knew that I wanted to survive and I wanted a way to pay my bills. So I knew I wanted to start a production company. That was how I connected the dots. And you oh, did. And I did. And he had said, if you want to start a production company, LA is probably not the easiest place to do that. But if you're coming, if you know exactly that you want to be a specific crew member or specific like thing, then then come to L.A. And at that point, I couldn't honestly say I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I was like, all right, I want to create a production company. I'll just continue because I was already doing that in. You have a tremendous gut instinct, though. I think that was a smart move. Yeah. So I so that's what I did. I stayed in Austin and I (laughs) fell in, jumped in, whatever, like. It's one of the smartest things I did. I had started my production company in 2010 when I started business school. What's it called? 
uh, Moth of Flame. Beautiful. Yes. And what's funny is <laughs> I didn't realize how smart it was that I, I'd started it while in business school. Because if you think about it, I'm the only filmmaker that any of my colleagues know. And they all get go out and find real jobs. And all what do all those companies need? Content. Content. And I am the only filmmaker that they know. Mm. So that's how I started to. So by 2011, before I even graduated, I was breaking even, at least. Very good. So I was. So by it was the way time, harder to make art money back yeah, then. Yes. So by 2012, I was financially independent and I was able to survive of, off of what I was making. So. Knowing that, that's why I came back to Austin because I was like, "All right, I have clients, you know, and I can I can make a living." Now it was not easy. Of course not. I moved in to my uh, business school uh, BFF's dining room. Uh, So I really respect (laughs) your your humility. Well, I was just like, for some people, they're not willing. They're not willing to that one could. Consider that a step going backwards. Sure. It, it, and it, Some yes. people are too precious about that. I'm not at all. And I love that. Yeah. That's to your credit. Which is another secret sauce, I think. Is, I think so. is that like I, I'm willing to make sacrifices. That's what it and, takes. Yeah. And I've told lots of people that I, I that like, who are like, oh, I wanna, what does it take? And I, I was like, know what your priorities are and what you're willing to sacrifice. And I'm willing to sacrifice a lot more things than most people are. Yes. So that's right. Yeah. So I moved into the dining room. People thought people who came in always thought she lived in a studio. Cause you'd see my bed and then like kitchen and everything. And she's like, no, 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 I actually have a room. She has a room. And I, I was the one who just lived in the, in the dining room, but Hey, that meant $300 for rent instead of 800. And I just slowly worked my way up so that from there, I lived like that for like two years, and then like then she moved into a bigger apartment with like a study. So Were you saving was, money? I was uh, I was barely making it. Barely Let's making just say it. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was a startup, of course. right? And startups don't it, from an average from what I studied in business school, uh, startups don't start really going past breaking even until three years into your oh, company. Okay. That's good to hear, right? That's good to hear. Yeah, so. So it was very hard. So, but what I was smart about was I started in 2010 while I was on student loans. So, <laughs> yes. So I bypassed two of the hardest years. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, very smart. So my first year was extremely hard because I had no student loans anymore. I was on my own and having to survive. But because of that, I probably su- succeeded faster because it was do or die. Mm-hmm. It was I, do I eat or not, you know? Yep. And, be- and I, had no, I had zero safety net. You know, um, and so I so from there, the first year was extremely hard. And then after that, it wasn't so bad anymore. And I passed that three year mark. And still to this day, I'm still surviving off the moth of flame. But that's awesome. Congratulations. But, but that's man. what I'm saying. Like, it's it's just I was willing to sacrifice. Do you have employees? Um, Yeah, I have. So I tried the employee thing. Uh huh. And I learned really fast that it's probably it's best to do for me it was best to do contractors than actual i have people who like they don't financially speaking or both financially when you are committed to having people on your payroll then you almost become uh you you prioritize them getting the work right because they're spending your money therefore 
you want to get the most out of that. So you give them all the projects when that may not be the best fit. So what I learned was I needed to match people to the projects and not be forced for economic reasons to rely on a specific person because they're on my payroll. Can you shine some light on that? Because this is yeah. something that people need to hear. Totally. So um, I had one, I tried out one employee and at that moment of Moth of Flame, which I think was in 2013 or 14, I was doing a lot of weddings. So in the beginning, you do everything. Say yes to anything. That's so right. I, did a lot of I, weddings. I still do I that. I've actually thing. just learned I need to start saying no. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yes. yes. You get to a point where you're like, no way, no more. I don't yes. do weddings anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but at that point, weddings was what made money. I get it. And I needed to make money. And so in all those weddings that needed to be edited fell on one person that was my employee. Holy smokes, that's a lot. And they hated it. And yeah. when you hate it, you don't stay very long. Or you hate it and you don't do a good job, right? And so yeah. I learned very – but then I learned that there were people who were happy to edit that wedding. Yep. You know, I wanted that. And that's when I had the aha moment of I need to fit the project to the person. And that's where I went full contractor. That is a powerful distinctive for sure. Yeah, because people burn out. Mm-hmm. I didn't I wouldn't want to edit weddings, but like that's not my I'm an employee. That's not my decision. If the company is only bringing in weddings, I'm going to have to edit 20 weddings. Yeah. You know? So but if but like instead of that, I when I went to contractors, then I would parse it to 20 different people, all of them all excited to just have a job or excited about editing that wedding. And mm-hmm. then it, then it got done faster because it was new to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you're able to scale. You're able to do more. I was able to do more. It's I didn't burn somebody out, you know, yeah. type thing. And then like I could take other stuff. So it just, for me, it worked out that way. Um, and now like I, I wouldn't say I have employees, but I have people who are loyal to moth flame you know so great to hear yeah so but business isn't ever changing living breathing thing Mm -hmm. so back then i did weddings now i'm in a completely different boat what boat are you in now i'm very picky i I do creative marketing i would call it and moth flame has really transitioned more to just creative type of content and it's because my focus has changed so in the beginning my focus was survival as a business owner i got into it three years after so 2015 2016 when i was starting to realize i wasn't getting to do what i actually love to do i was running a business and the actual filmmaking part was falling are you more of the business owner operator or are you the artist i'm more of an artist and that's when i realized in 2015 16 i was unhappy because i was like i miss making movies you like doing the grunt work i love doing the movie part yeah yeah how'd you make that transition like what were were some actions you took yeah so at that point 2014 i had a so i just made my first feature around that time what's it called fun employment fun employment fun employment where can we watch it so you could Originally, I watched it on Amazon. I haven't 
something is there's a glitchy thing in it where i have to go renew something with okay. it or like upgrade some stuff so right now you can't but like you can look it up on vimeo you made this in 2014 2015 yeah so i shot it in 2013 so here's a whole other story I, I, with fun employment hopefully we have some time <laughs> um what, what what's give me a hard out okay what's, uh, what's a hard out time? hard out let's say here let me someone it's 10 to 10 let's, let's look uh okay uh let's say because he had said noon would be okay so let me let me just let johnny know it's like all the time let's you need to noon so if i move that to noon then my heart out can be like 11 ish okay perfect thank you yeah. thank you so much for that i appreciate that yeah. um well let me ask what was the budget of this and how'd you get the budget okay so the budget was thirty thousand. holy shit <laughs> Are you kidding me? You had a multi-cam. Yeah. I, I, what did but, you film it on? Um, so I, again, luck slash seeing an opportunity slash I was going to shoot it all on DSLRs because I that was when DSLRs were huge. And I had one. And, Which DSLR? Um, <laughs> I had a Canon T2i. Fuck yeah. That was my first I DSLR. I love that thing. Yeah. That was my first DSLR. And then uh, my friend had a 7D, so I borrowed that. But what was funny was kind of much like how you met me somebody reached out to me that i never met i'll say bansu and he was like hey i'm new to town and he i have a red camera here you go no way i kid you not he yeah i have a red camera. i don't know what to do with it because he was i would say he was <laughs> he was a filmmaker he was he loved the pro he loved watching filmmakers mm. and being involved somehow and trying to be a filmmaker, but he was more like a gearhead and yeah, just fascinated the with the tech of it. So yeah. he would always have the latest stuff. Was it a Scarlet? It was a Scarlet, yes. And he was like, "I don't want well, not doing anything. It's just it's just sitting in my room." And I was like, "Can I borrow it?" Well, actually, he he I taught I was. I'm good about like when I'm excited about something, telling him, "Oh, I'm about to do this feature." But so he was probably excited from it. He was like, "What kind of camera are you using?" I probably told him the Canon DSLR. So he's like, "Well, I've read. You want to use that?" And I was like, "Say no that again." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell's yeah. Did you? Yeah, I did. So one red. I had one red. Wow. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, what? Did you film it in 4K, 1080p? In 4K. Man, you went all out. I went all out. Yeah. I also learned the hard way that it's very difficult to to edit raw uh to edit 4k on old school computers did you have to do proxy files i didn't know about proxies oh, fuck <laughs> damn it yeah, i did that's how that's how i i've learned so many things by mistakes you know? know of course because i had no clue that's how you learn i had no clue so my computer would like crash every 10 minutes basically holy smokes that's how i edited it <laughs> okay so how'd you raise 30 grand uh this was when crowdfunding was mm -hmm. becoming a big thing yeah and I tried my luck in crowdfunding. But you know, surely you had to have developed an audience, though. Well, let's go back to business school. Yeah. So I had told them, and I'm very, if you people who know me, I don't say stuff that I won't do. And I can guarantee that 100%. You're a woman of your word. I, I will. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do my absolute best to do that. And it's not like absolute best, like, oh, I said it and then I couldn't because, you know, no, I tried it and maybe I failed, you know, type mm -hmm. thing. But like, I will do it. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in business school, 
the thing I was telling everybody was that I want to make a feature film. I want to make a feature film. So they already knew I was going to make this thing so that when I was doing this Kickstarter, people were lining up to, to help me with Tremendous. it. Yeah. What so did you I ask for? What did you get? Um, so, yeah. So thir- I made exactly 30. Th- I asked for 30 and I got 30. Kick- Actually, it was slightly more than that because there's, there was some stuff that was off the Kickstarter or it was off of Kickstarter. Wow. Yeah. It was Kickstarter. I mean, it was a full-time job. I like did all the marketing stuff. I, you know, bothered people. I, you know, it was a full-time thing. Like I worked hard for, it. I didn't just like make a thing and then it just suddenly, it was Cutco Christine. It was Cutco. Yeah. Kickstarter Christine for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so I hustled and I, I got it. Wow. And I shot it. Like where'd the money go? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Really in post. Really? And, and the reason why is because I didn't understand the value of sound at that point. And, yeah. uh, but like even the, even like Foley and all mm-hmm, this crazy thing, labbing mm-hmm. stuff and redundancies. I had and- no clue. It's funny because like the stuff that we shot earlier was most of the stuff we had ADR, but then like at a certain point, I learned and everything else behind that was like fine. Like it was, but how, I had to mean? go through like the, the, uh, sound quality yeah invested in like better equipment and mm-hmm. the, towards the middle and i found so somebody on our team naturally fell into the sound position that somebody is jason cates um and he then we gave him just he became sound person and then from there on the sound was great like in the film Beautiful. um that's good that you found it in the film yes that's good. while we were shooting because this, the shooting process took was not your typical shooting process how many either. shooting days probably like 40 some yeah. holy smokes well, because it, i shot it like a documentary like i didn't have a typical hey we have a schedule do you storyboard i did not at that point okay because i remember i came from youtube true where it was very much off the cuff sort of like zen kind of yeah. like we're gonna find so it so it's interesting if you watch fun employment okay i really want to watch it now yeah I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link thank you because you can see where the youtube comes from because you'll see that each of these scenes can stand alone. Mm. Did and you ever the- see Mystery Team Mm-mm. with Donald Glover? Mm-mm. Is that, it something I should watch? Donald Glover started on YouTube and then was able to parlay that into getting a $3 million movie made. I think it went to Sundance or something. It's cool. And it was basically like their YouTube channel in a feature film. It's very cool. So there's a lot of little, kind it's of very like vignette very Lonely Island. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. So mm-hmm. like the scenes are very vignette yeah. and the part I struggled with was connecting it together, actually, so the transitions. So you wrote it? I wrote it, yes. Are you in it? Um, yes, probably in and out here and there, for <laughs> sure. I, uh, everybody and their mom were in it, wasn't it? Of course. Pretty much. Um, and um, what it started off with was uh, my friend Daniel Siddiqui, and I had a concept. He uh, made a full feature, wrote it, and it was like 300 pages. It was stupid. It's too long. It was too long. It was stupid. Um, I took one class during my business school that I was allowed to do at film school. So I took a graduate level screenwriting class. Mm. I was the worst screenwriter <laughs> oh, man. by far. Really? Because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I, I was terrible. I, these are gra- these are people who are getting their like masters it. in screenwriting. They've been screenwriting forever. Wow. And I'm in here being like, I didn't even write this. Like I'm just like tweaking. I, I he gave it to me and I like tore it apart and made it my own basically. But oh. I had bones, so 
he helped me write the bones and then i readapted it i would say that's good completely like changed it that's a good exercise yeah for sure and uh have you you gotten better at screenwriting much better and and i credit that to the fact that it because i edit yeah you know you're writing for the edit yes yes and while i'm editing i'm learning Ooh, that was boring let's not do that now i understand why you don't write five-page monologues you know because that i cut all that out so fucking guilty i'm so guilty exactly you you sometimes you have to learn just by doing you don't you feel like you're gonna be the norm and sometimes there's the rare opportunity that you are but more than likely you're gonna learn why things have been done the certain ways for years some things are some truths are just true yeah yeah and so that's how i learned was i learned through my editing and learned through and and I would say I credit fun employment to making me the filmmaker I am today. Okay. I'm going to ask you the big question. Did the movie make its money back? Never. How do we do that? And how have you learned how to do that? Because that to me is everything. Yes. So like for me, you said, you know, being an editor informs you as a screenwriter. Well, to me being the business person, how does this thing make its money back? How does it make a profit? It informs me as a filmmaker. You know, technically... Technically, I did make my money back because it wasn't even my money to pay. <laughs> it was, I well, because you didn't go in debt. I did never went into debt. Yeah, I I didn't. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I never went into debt. I never owed anybody any money. Yeah, that's good. And um, when did when 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 did you start photography? Mm-hmm. And when did you screen it? And what was the time between that? So, uh funny story uh i so i shot it in 2014 i started editing it and then i would say halfway through the edit everything corrupted my project file corrupted everything and i got really depressed and so then i pretended the project didn't exist for a bit and that's dark yes and then picked it back up so it, it it was a half a year later before i picked it back up again to start editing it and I uh, I had new blood. Um, I had a men a mentee that was training James Crouch, which, who is now a very good editor, um, who wanted stuff to edit. And I was like, well, there's this project that I was editing, and kind of, and so he put breathe life into it and then i got excited again thank god for that yes and then i it sounds like it's a technological conundrum right it was like i learned so much stuff but from it but like it it was really now red footage is easier to edit than dslr footage because of the compression and also your proxies man i could have solved all my problems with proxies i know we didn't know yeah i didn't know I, I certainly didn't know that in 2014. Yeah, I did not know. And I learned very fast after that. So he, he breathes new life blood to into it. it yes. And then in the middle of the post-production 2014, um, my lead actor, Adam Duncan, um, had he's from Shreveport, Louisiana. And he said, hey, there's this competition called the Louisiana Film Prize, which is the winner gets $50,000. Don't worry, I never the uh, spoiler. I've never ever won it, um, but it's, it's rigged. It's got to be rigged. Then, but I've made films ever since every year Nuh-uh. in Shreveport Features? because of that. Uh, they're all shorts. Oh, wow! So I went backwards. That's okay. And I'm glad I did yeah. because my short. I think shorts the, are harder. That dude. one you can find a bird's nest. Oh, okay. Send that to me. I, I think yeah. shorts are way harder because you actually have to. 
finish it and make it. Yeah. It's harder. So that was the first project that I like. Before, so in between this, I shot a bird's nest, finished it. I love your titles and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I quite. Lo- I love this film, um, and this was the film that I went to film festivals with for the first time and understood what film festivals were. How okay? What are film festivals? It is a way for filmmakers to network. It is a way to showcase your films, and depending on the level of the film festival and what you're trying to get out of it, it could also mean connections to distributors and people that could advance your career. Um, I definitely feel like we are growing away from it a little bit, that that's, we as, have more options as a culture. As a I think society. we have more options. We just have more options. It's not that I don't think film festivals will, will ever die, okay. but I do think that there's just more options now. Yeah. Um, it used to be that the film festivals were the only way to get your stuff seen. What are the options now? Put it on YouTube. Put it on. There's distribution companies like Shorts TV. I'm all, all my uh, shorts are distributed through Shorts TV. They're cable based. Um, wow. There are other ones that have come from that. Indie Flicks is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I know there's more than what I'm naming. Of course. Um, and now. Really, if if you can just have build your network, you and they've seen in a body of work that you've finished and is decent, then you can. It's a lot easier to find like minded people who want to help support you and like give you access at least maybe if not money resources. Sure. Right. Yeah, and you're very resourceful. Yes. Even because even it, when you didn't have the resources, you were resourceful. And that's the other secret sauce. I know it is. It yes. really is. I preach that one. It's being everything. Very, very resourceful. And not and I think it's resourcefulness being like understanding that, hey, yeah, everybody's thinking about money, 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 money all the well, time. Well squeezing a dollar out of a dime. Right. But what is money? Money is just a means of getting your resources. So if you could skip that middle part of money and jump directly to the resources, aren't you essentially doing the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that people forget about. They just think, I don't have the money, I don't have the money, I don't have the money, so I can't make it. I think, I don't have the money, but somebody's going to donate me this location. Ching. Hell yeah. Somebody's going to donate food. There we go. I can do it in one location that's whatever. I have. These three actors are hungry, and they they just want a reel or whatever. Now I have the resources. That's right. And I just, I didn't need the money. Yeah. So I think that's the part that people get caught up on is this like, I mean, eventually you are going to need the money. The reality is when you're at a certain level, money talks, right? But prior to that, when you're learning and you're not making your Steven Spielberg Academy Award winning film, you can get away with a lot of stuff. So... Um, I learned that really, really fast through Fun Employment. Did you make a feature after Fun Employment? uh, I am planning on it. Right now? Right now. Can you say a name? A title? Erzuli is the name of the... How do you say that? Erzuli. I think it's it's a Creole, a French Erzuli. Um, It's basically like a queen goddess of some sort. Where are you filming? I'm filming it in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Is there a script? Yes, there is. Yeah. Do you have the resources? I have most of the resources locked down. Now I just need to go pitch and grab 
the money portion of it. So I yeah. want to talk about where you're at right now and what you have going on. But let's let's get the COVID bullshit out of the way. Sure. How did that affect your business? Uh, did it? You know, the crazy thing was it made me more prolific. How? So everybody, myself included, had a halt from March to June, right? That's about like where, where it was. I was lucky where I had been working nonstop since October. So my next gig was going to be South by and South by got canceled, but I didn't see it as I'm fucked. I saw it as, thank God I need a break. Mm. And I utilized that time to write. I utilized that time to get, get realisms up and running do you meditate? Faster. I'm trying to do it more. I know there's a lot of benefits to it. How do you reset? How do you recalibrate? Uh, I think the way I do it is jumping locations. Does that make sense? Hmm. So, like, if I'm in Shreveport, I'll take a trip to Austin. I just came from um, Hawaii. Hmm. Um, took it. For some reason, did you just, have to show them my I'm negative. Yes, I did. So <laughs> I did have to. I did do I do all this stuff. But I think for me, when I'm stuck, if I can put myself in a new environment, hmm. that tends to somehow in there shake something up that makes me continue to function better. I'm gonna ask you a personal question. Sure. No kids. No kids. Do you have a desire to have kids? Yes, eventually. That's beautiful. Do you have a special significant person? No. Do you? That's one of the sacrifices. That's one of the sacrifices. I, I work a lot. Is it hard for them? Yeah. Can you do the work-life balance thing? I know it's super hard to balance. Right now, right now to be honest, I have not had a work-life balance in a while. Um, I. Where are you tipping? Where are the ex extremities? Well, I travel a lot now for my, my work. Um, I full-time AD, um, something else that grew out of, fell mm. into it. Um, That's great, man. You must fucking crush it as an AD. Apparently, because I can't, like, I keep getting hired for it. Doing television? Um, no, um, features, actually. Wow. Yeah. Name name drop some people. Uh, Thunder Road, Jim Cummings. Wow. That was, a, that, was one of, that was one of the bigger things. That's huge. Yeah. I just finished. Were you on set every day? I AD'd for the first week. I was kind of, I was a, they didn't really need one. Mm -hmm. And again, hustling. What is the the position called? Um, the team, sort of like, you know, they get the B-roll essentially, get inserts and pickups. Oh, um, like a second unit? Second unit. Second unit director or something like that. I feel that. like yeah. that is a really valuable totally. piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Haven't you ever looked back and you've been like, man, I needed inserts of this and that and this yeah, and that? Yeah, but the thing is most of these indie films can't afford like a psychic unit. So it's really it's really just like maybe the director and the DP go off when everybody when principal photography is done and they pick up some of these things. You How know? are you today, 2021, um, financially? I am doing awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think it's just because like I lucked out during that period of March to June, I got a lot of things started. I didn't have time to do mm. um, building, get realisms, uh, writing and everything. So I utilized that time wisely. My roommate would say that like, 
it was really annoying living with me during quarantine because <laughs> she had a job that she was going to full time yet somehow I probably worked more than she did. Mm. Um, cause I was hungry. Right. And so I, I, and I hadn't had that kind of breather in so long. I would just been going, going, going as an AD and everything. And when I had that, I put a lot of things in motion. Um, and so when the first things opened up, I got, I got lucky. This is luck. I got on one of the first SAG approved projects hmm. from when, uh, things were starting to open up around. Which June. one? It was a fil- film called no more goodbyes in Brian, Texas, uh, feature. And, uh, the, because of that, I was one of the first to deal with COVID as an AD. Wow. Uh, and because of that, after that, when things started to open up even more and people were scared to deal with COVID, I was one of the first ADs that had. So then that's then like I just kept getting jobs after jobs after jobs after that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty much nonstop. Um, so I've been very, very, very lucky. Um, and how, then how do you balance working for other people's building their dreams yeah. and working and building yours? I, th- are you selfish treat- in that way? Like you really want to get your shit in? I totally want to get my shit in, but I treat it as everything as a learning experience. So when I'm on someone else's set, I'm thinking I get to learn from their mistakes. Of course. I get to watch and know what not to do on their dime, on their dime. And I really take it that way. And I'm still collecting people off of those sets, finding my tribe, finding who I want to work with in the future. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, I don't see it as, oh, I'm making someone else's dream. I see it as mm-hmm. I'm technically still making my dream come dream because I'm learning on someone else's dime what not to do so that when I'm going to go fall to the wall for my thing, it's going to be, per- it's going to be awesome. T- tell me the moment your parents got it, it clicked for them. It was business school. Hmm graduation um i had made a bunch of stuff so besides making funny things making fun of business school i also helped the business school make some stuff for them to help them raise money and and whatever um i guess that meant something to them uh they i got the dean's uh i guess service award is what you call it wow yeah some some big award that like only two people in, your, in the whole class gets basically. And That's awesome. So I think my parents from that realized like, oh, like what you do means something to someone, even though we don't understand. But like clearly your school picked you for this award, Yeah. you know? So like, so that was like, I remember that being one of the most pleasant dinner conversations I've ever had in a very long time. Like they were just happy and like they understood. They didn't ask me why I didn't get another kind of job, why I was still doing what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. It was yeah. pleasant. And then they that was they, one moment. They don't know what they don't know. Yes. They don't know what they don't know. So I don't blame them. Um, so that was one moment. What solidified it was it's weird. Uh, my brother was when they, when you go to medical school, there's a day called match day when you figure out which, school you're going to end up for for actual med school mm. i brought my camera and that was it which camera um uh, the canon 7d i believe 
with the 24 by 70 lens. It's my favorite lens. 2.8. Yes, 2.8. Still my favorite lens, and I will roll with that ever. That's all I got right there. I love this lens. Oh, yeah. It does everything. It does macro as mm-hmm. well. It's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I can, I'm so good at it that, like, even if I can't see my screen, I know I'll be in focus. Like, I just know the lens so well. Yeah, the focus, yeah. The focus length. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I, I, that was all I brought. I didn't even bring a tripod or anything. And I just captured little moments here and there. Um, and I edited it into one little, like, here you go, brother. He didn't ask, you're welcome. He didn't ask for that. He didn't ask for that. I oh, gave you're it that to guy? Him. Yeah. That's so me. I, so I, yeah. So I gave it to him and I get a phone call from my parents, like freaking out. And, and they're like, oh my God, like, this is the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. Like you have a gift. Like they, that was mm. what they understood. Wow. And I was like, really? I was like, I had like no lighting, <laughs> no set, like nothing. I had one lens, no stabilization. It was just moments that I picked off that I was just doing for fun because I wanted my brother to have some memory and just like edited. And that's what they understood. They were like, from here on, like, we won't say sh- shit. They still do, but like not as much. And they're like, we we get it. We understand that you have a talent. Like, you need to do this. Like, they got it from that. Of all things, I'm like, I've made like short films. I've gotten awards. I've made all these other things. But like, it was that moment that they maybe understood. they needed to be the right audience. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because you make these things for PayPal. They don't give a shit about they PayPal. Don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But that's they what it understood was. that. They understood the value of what I made. I guess that's when it clicked. Yeah, it clicked, and and then. Since then, they've been, I mean, they still worry their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is hard still, you know, here yeah. and there. You're still going to, there's still ebbs and flows of like, well, nobody's ever going to hire me again. Everybody always has that. And I always tell people that, like, it doesn't go away. You'll you'll finish a big project and you're technically unemployed, right? And you just need to learn to see those periods of time as like, oh, it's time for myself to do something else or to, to develop something else. Um, but I think that comes with experience, understanding how to wade those times and seeing it from a different perspective. Not, how many years have you been a filmmaker now? Well, let's say I ser- I was serious about it starting in 2010. That's when I was like, I'm going to do this as my full-time career. Uh, but I was dabbling in making films since 2003 because mm-hmm. that's when I started doing documentaries. So I did documentaries from 2003 to 2008, had an aha moment in 2008 started dabbling and doing YouTube stuff, uh, 2009, 2010, started my production company, Moth of Flame, 2010, while I was going to business school. Still running. Still running. Um, got my first AD gig in 2016, then went full-time AD from 2016 till now, still, and then been directing everywhere in between at any opportunity that I can between all that. What informs your hunger today? Like, what do you have to prove? It's just telling better stories. Yeah? Yeah, it's always just, what can I do better? Every year I have a goal, like, what can I... And there's they're simple stuff, like, how... The year that I did Yaobi, which is still probably to this day the most successful short I've done. How was um, it successful? Uh, It did the whole Academy process did where... It? Yeah, so wow. it was Academy Qualify. We went through the whole process. I learned what it means to be to get shortlisted. I didn't get shortlisted, but we were like, you know, yeah. compare. That was a cool moment because yeah. I remember three years before that watching the Academy shorts on 
uh, by Shorts TV um, in the theaters and being like, oh, I'll never get there. And then three years later being like, well, I'm very like my stuff is definitely comparable to the stuff that's in the running right of now. Of course. Was you it know? your baby? It, uh, yeah, that was totally. And so did you write it? Yes, I wrote that one. Yes. How do you know when something's done and it's like, OK, I'm going to make this. This is going to be the thing. Do you stop everything or are you still ADing and doing all this crazy I still, shit? I have to do – I'm always doing 10 things at once, always. And how yeah. do you focus and give the thing the time it needs? I think I've just gotten really good at – Everything's being, just automated? Not necessarily, but I think I'm extremely good at time management. Um, and I'm very good at, like, checklisting. I'm mm. checklist everything. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. So I – I never understand people who are bored. Mm -hmm. I'm never bored. I'm never bored. I have too many things to them doing that to be bored. Like yeah. people come, like I remember being a background, you know, I've done background work and stuff like that. And like background work complaining because they're so bored. And I'm like sitting there with my computer, like working on 10 other projects. And I'm like, why? Or like lines. People are always mad about lines. And I, I've already come up with a system. I can do work on my phone. That's right. So I'm my phone doing reconciling my accounts. I know? look forward to lines. Yeah. I'm you like got working, 20 minutes to do something. Yeah, doing something. I'm sitting there doing something. I, I catch up on all those meeting calls or whatever. Mm. I, I've. Airplanes, man. Yeah work 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 i oh, have yeah. a whole system you know to edit and everything and pull out my you know my drive my i think that's what i've become very good at is i'm obsessed with efficiency where can you be better exactly where can i where can i shave off some time yeah where can i make it so that anytime i'm idle i can be working or making money or something like that right mm -hmm. and that's why I, I feel like I'm able to do so many things because I, I don't stop everything. I'm still ADing. I, um, I just got off one and I'm prepping the next two, three, you know, things that I, that I have in, in the works. And I'm also prepping the feature that I want to, to shoot in March, you know, what are you going to do with the feature? So I have a promise of distribution. What does that mean? Cool. It means that they believe in, Who's they? So f another funny story. Mm. <laughs> it's funny, like the whole like just parts that fit together that you never thought would. And so, uh, one of the first actresses that I ever worked with back in Houston, um, she's we continue to keep in contact. Well, while when I did a bird's nest, I met another one of her friends, uh, Han Soto, who's also another actor. And uh, maintained that relationship. And then while that was happening, there was a competition that came up called Tent Square. And, you know, I love competitions. And it was like, I call them quick fire challenges. Hmm. So some sort of grief, something I would not normally do. Mm -hmm. And you spend one day on it, you make it. And it's a quick fire. That's why I call it quick fire challenges. It's to make you think outside of the box mm -hmm. and create something. So it's it'd be stuff like. Do you do these on your own? Oh uh, yeah, with my employee, not employees, my yeah. team. Yeah. Um, that moth flame team. Wow. Um, and it'll just be like, hey, so we have this crazy idea. It's like three. I wrote it already. It's a page. It'll take a day and a half of your time. You want to come hang out? It's an opportunity for us to hang out too. Yeah. And so uh, it'll be briefs like uh fantasia film festival for example i didn't know what that was which it's a huge 
huge fantastical film festival i didn't did not know that um in montreal i believe uh they it was their 20 year anniversary so they wanted to create something that has the number 20 in it hmm. that's 30 seconds long that was the brief hmm. so my uh one of my team members was like wouldn't it be funny if this dude like pulls off his head and like throws his head and then it's at the 20 yard mark Mm. and he was just kidding and i was like done let's do that and he was like what i was like yeah that's the best idea ever and so yeah we executed in a day thing and that that little quick fire challenge got me a ticket to montreal (laughs) wow where i saw that little bumper play right before this awesome film that had like the the lead from Big Bang Theory or whatever, mm-hmm. like, and then introduced me to fantasy world and and it see how that comes full circle. Of course. Anyways, that was for Tent Square, and I did a bunch a series of these competitions, and I don't know why more people didn't do it, but I won pretty much every competition I did in there, and they're little, they're but they were like five hundred dollars here or mm. like um a, a ticket to Montreal to you know here yeah. and there. Wow. Well, that competition dissolved somehow, and I don't know. But the third person who ran that competition is part of this trifecta. So Candace, Han, and Andrew. Andrew's from Ten Square. Mm. Andrew actually managed a distribution company that was growing in in New York, and his what they focus on is thriller, horror, fantasy type genre stuff. Mm-hmm. They came together and asked me, hey, because of this distribution company, we're getting asked and thrown a lot of scripts. And so now we're thinking of doing like a talent management company type thing. We want you to be part of it type thing. Like to manage you. To manage you? Yeah. So like as a like. Representation? Yes. Like if we get scripts and we feel like you might be a good fit, we will show it to you. If you like it, we'll put together the team. And then like. That's kind of the dream. Yeah. So I was like, sure. I was like. (laughs) And then they off, you know, kind of just in passing just said, oh, yeah. And, you know, this is the kind of content we do is like horror genre type stuff. If you just happen to have anything, I didn't. If you happen to have anything in that line, bring it to us. And because we like your work and we know your work, we will back you in terms of we will give you a distribution deal. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let me think about this. And I had an idea. And was this one already in the can? This was, I no. this was just something. It it just came. Wow. And, and it was a mermaid film. And, Mm. uh, I had just gone, got done, uh, ADing three features back to back in Baton Rouge on this property, John Schneider studios, which is like in the middle of nowhere in the woods, but like, it's like hillbilly resort basically there's a giant ass pool in the middle and like all these little cabins and like if you can think creatively there's a lot you can do and film in this location sounds very unique yes it's extremely unique and i was like i'm gonna write it for this place and so i did and i told them and so now they're like great we want a final product by may wow holy smokes so i want to get a little nerdy here Mm -hmm. first of all congratulations because I mean, that is that's the dream. That's what every filmmaker that's ever aspiring filmmaker, independent filmmaker, 
what they think is that it's a straight line to get it's to that not. opportunity. It's not. It's a massive web. Like I've already told you how they all like are all it's all over the place and it's happening simultaneously. And it's just the ability to decipher from that web of a mess which opportunity you should jump on first. That's right. You know, I actually have another feature I was planning and making instead of this one. Mm. Um, that I've been planning that I was writing during quarantine that I was like gun ho to do it, but then quarantine and all that stuff. And I was like, this may not be the right film time. that I should do this yeah. yet. And this other one I jumped on instead, Yeah, you know, and that's just how it goes. It's, yeah. I think that's the other secret sauce is the ability to wade through a mess of points and figure out what to focus on first. Hmm. prioritizing but prioritizing yeah yeah it's that's a hard one you can't teach that i feel a lot of people think that they can bypass the time the patience yeah the sacrifice the failures the money the money loss uh disappointing people i mean you you rolled the dice and you risked disappointing your parents mm -hmm. it's hard from coming from an immigrant culture people can't take that risk yeah they don't know how um but then there's resentment that's that's there forever between them and their parents. And, totally. And I think it's way easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah. And now, like, I've been trying my best to, like, rebuild, you know, things with my parents. And, and, and it's working. That's know? great. And and so, like, yeah, I, I didn't ask for permission. I Yo, if it. you were my daughter, I'd be so proud of you. You know, because, I mean, it sounds like you did it without their help. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. So I want to get real techie real fast, and then I want to give you your time back. Thank you for indulging me. This has been the greatest conversation I've ever had with a filmmaker. Oh. And I've had hundreds. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for coming to the crib. Um, how are you going to deliver the product by May, and what does the product look like uh, insofar as do you have to put it through? I forget what the houses are called. You know that do all the subtitles and all that crazy shit and do you have to finish it that way or do you i mean you don't give them a h.264 file no you have to it's a package right well i have a very detailed timeline that i've made for myself uh very specific how many shooting days do you estimate 10 to 12 wow mm. girl you're you're gonna be working 18 hour days not the way i i do my homework yeah yeah, and I've done enough where I've watched what not to do. Okay. And the key is prep. 10 to 12. Yeah. You can do a lot if you prep the crap out of it. And yeah. the beauty of it is I already know this location, so I'm not going in blind. Mm -hmm. I know it in and out. I was there for a year, uh, for a month and a half mm -hmm. on this piece of property. That's great. Um, Some of the team members I plan on bringing were also on this property for the same amount of time. So we know what we have to work with so what that's what you're gonna thing. film it on what am i what am i i would like to film on the Ari alexa mini beautiful mm -hmm. wow and uh but i'm flexible so like i'm not gonna be like i won't make my film because i don't have an Ari alexa mini you know if, if i can't that's then it wasn't meant to be i'll use mm -hmm. something else yeah. right but i would love to use the Ari alexa mini because it's very beautiful talk to me about the the deliverables the package uh, so you usually will have your obviously H.264 and you do or, create or, that. or a pro ProRes version. How do you turn um, that in? On, on the a hard drive. drive? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be 500 yeah. gigabytes. You, you got to put it. It's on a drive. Sometimes if 
they will have like for like shorts they had like a shuttle a media shuttle you did online but it took took for i hated that because like internet here is awesome internet in shreveport sucks balls like or, terrible or wherever um airbnb that you're in <laughs> at yeah. any given moment <laughs> exactly yeah so usually drive uh it'll be in pro res um depending on 422 uh yeah 422 and some t- depending on if you're going to do it theatrically or whatever you're going to probably need um a, right now i just like blinked but it's a it's another format for exhibition mm. um that they can build off of your 4k mm. uh pro res uh export um and then from there they'll expect like a um or what is it called it's 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 basically the subtitle thing but mm-hmm. it's um by time code mm-hmm. code and it has like every dialogue Are they doing multiple languages written. um i didn't i haven't thought it through i know for netflix there. they have a very probably yeah. yeah um i have yeah so we'll see i i'll have to go and see what their deliverable package looks like wow. um but yeah the, the subtitling portion they'll have a music cue sheet you know that goes with it um that's amazing and then a bunch of like what art i guess you would call it so like Mm -hmm. when you go to netflix you'll see like Mm -hmm. the art so that you know that kind of deliverable thumbnails essentially and they'll have their specs that they will want it and stuff do you have to make all those decisions if i don't have money to pay people yeah Mm. but i'm used to that of course that's so, your normal. That's my normal. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's normal for me to do everything. What kind of runtime do you do you want to hit? Less than uh, I mean an hour thirty probably nothing. Yeah. I don't want to go over the. Is that. it? Uh, do you think it's going to be R? No, I think I'm going to aim for a PG thirteen. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting in there counting my f words, being making sure I don't have. I I'm like every time one. I see f word, I'm like, yeah, you get once. So I was like, told once that I can't have a character smoke a cigarette, and that's an R. Really? I was told that. I need to look into that because there's definitely somebody that's in mind that's smoking And weed. if that's not true, fuck you <laughs> for gaslighting me. I was like, okay, then it's an R. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever. Crap. Well, there's yeah. definitely somebody in mind smoking weed. I'll have to look at that. Are you going to – you're not going to be the director of photography? No. You're, so yeah. you, you got a guy or a gal? Um, I have a few people in mind that I'm pinning down that I um, – we'll see who pans out because this is not – when you get a certain quality of person, they're also used to certain ways of mm-hmm. living and Life, uh, lifestyle. Lifestyle, life. yeah. And uh, this is not one of those places where you're going to be put up in a nice hotel. Mm. But what I think what's the next secret sauce? Mm. Be brutally honest. Yep, radical candor. Always be brutally honest, and I think that's what I'm really good at. I don't. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not going to be like, hey, this is going to make your career and and you're going to be so comfortable. No, I'm going to tell you it's like camping. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's what it's going to be. And it's going to be fun. I low-key love that, though. Yeah. I love the community bucket that we all piss in, and that's yeah. part of the fun. But you have to be – you. I think people will deal with a lot of stuff if they know to expect it. Of course. And that's the biggest mistake that I see filmmakers make. I agree. Is that they oversell things and then people come in with that expectation. And when they're surprised, 
then they get pissy and mad and mm-hmm. and whatever. But if I just lay it all out and tell them exactly what they're getting into, mm-hmm. it's easier for me to over deliver. Absolutely. I learned day one filming my first feature, fuck looking cool. Yeah. And fuck spending money trying to look cool. It doesn't matter. Like if I had just, I, I was that salesperson. I was trying to sell it. This is going to be X, Y, and Z. And it was just expensive and I wasn't being true to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, none of those things even made the edit. So yeah. it was just a waste, you know? And yeah, you know, I think people just want to work with you because it's a learning experience. I mean, you're a great leader. Yeah. And, and I think the thing is that like you and have they to, trust you. Yes. It's trust and, and also understanding what do people want. Right. So again, it's not always all about money. Yes, money is great. Money speaks, and yes, I've worked for plenty of jobs for the money. It's easy. Yes, it's the transaction. Exactly, but if you think about it, sometimes it's like I want to do this because I've never worked in this genre. I want to do this because I've always wanted to work this with this particular person. I've I want to do this because I've never been to Baton Rouge. I want to do so. You have to. I think the beauty of having worked as an AD, I, I always joke that as an AD, you're kind of a part therapist psychologist Mm -hmm. you know is being able to read people and understand their quirks and what they actually want Mm -hmm. right and so i think that's why i've been able to be so resourceful is because i i go beyond the surface of what it seems like they want to what they truly want from a deeper level yeah. You know, your emotional intelligence is off the fucking charts. I'm very, I'm, I'm, yeah. But it, 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 it bites me in the ass a lot, though. Why? How? People take advantage of it, you know, because I'm soft and, and, and I, I can logically um, say why someone wasn't asked to me. But think about it. You, you let know. people in. Yeah. And if they hurt you, then you know, I can't trust this person, right? So, right. It's, it goes back to the speed and the trust thing sure. as well. If they burn you, well, then, you know, it, this, it hurts, Al, but yeah. I just this wasn't going to work. And and uh, it's better to get this pain out of the way now. Sure. But the, but then you do feel more pain than, than I know. the more people. I can people. feel it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I know. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, so that's the part but that. you got thick skin. I've developed it. Yeah. Because a lot of people have hurt me. So. Not, I mean, it's just be, by being people, I, I have no, you know, but that's, that's the thing is cause I, I let people in. Yeah. Of course. Of course. So I got to tell you, if I had three more hours with you, it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> um, so let's wrap up here okay. and thank you so much for this. This has just been riveting. I mean, we made a movie here is the way I see it. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it is of value to somebody. Absolutely. You have no idea. You have no idea, Christine. Um, thank you so much for this. Three things that you could have told 16 year old or 2003, Christine, um, that would have helped her along this journey and maybe saved her some pain that we can tell the next aspiring Christine that's out there listening right now? What are three things? It could be one thing, but what is something, a a jewel, a gem that you think could have helped her uh, stay the course along the way when shit gets rough? Honestly, I I think the biggest, I wish I had started sooner. I wish I wasn't, I hadn't been afraid for so long, you know? Why were you afraid? It's failure, right? Um, upsetting pe- certain people, my parents or whatever. Um, not being good enough, not being. I think I think you just need to jump. I think I look at people who are like in their twenties right now and like so talented and working. I'm like, man, 
they've got 10 years of me and I'm like, oh, You're I wish I just. still a baby girl. You know that, right? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like. <laughs> I guarantee you. I mean, you love movies. I love movies. You love watching movies, love going watching to the theater movies. and all that. Yes. Your favorite filmmakers, your favorite movies. Something tells me these creators were in their 40s, 50s, 60s when they made them. It's possible, yes. Absolutely. Very... I mean, the 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 21-year-old filmmakers are the Orson Welles, they're there's one out of it's they're one out of a billion. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you need the reps. I mean, you're still a baby. Yeah. There are people that look at you in your industry that you're probably gonna work with that say, Christine, I would trade it all to be 35. <laughs> I guarantee it. Yes. I um and I that that's the biggest thing. Just be Start be fearless. Earlier. Start earlier, be fearless. And then the second thing is never always be willing to help somebody else because that will always come full circle. But that shouldn't be why you help somebody else. Like you shouldn't ever be thinking, I'm helping this person because in the future they might help me. Like, yeah. no, that's never in your you help them because like we all came from somewhere. We came from nothing or we came from not knowing anything and be willing to teach you know um people will will forget everything but they will never forget the way you made them feel i will never forget the way certain people have made me feel and they're probably regretting it you know and so um always always treat people with respect it doesn't matter what position they're doing or, or or whether they can help you right now or or who they are, you know. Take that time. So whenever people like message me randomly out the blue, I'm like, sure, why not? Why are you asking me? Sure, I'll help. Or like I'll um if I can, I'll I'll direct you to somebody who has that time at that point too. But I will take the time to to do that. Um and I think that's important is is that. Is treat everybody with respect. Um, and then discipline. I've always had a lot of discipline, though, so I don't know if I would really tell myself that, but I think I just value it even more. Um, There's no getting around it. There isn't. There's no secret thing that will get you to the top immediately. You have to go through. And because it, you learn through that, you learn through the mistakes, it's the journey that makes you who you are, you know? And so I am the filmmaker I am because I suffered through making a $30,000 shitty. Okay. It's not shit. I love it. Um, feature film. It's your baby. Yeah. And I've made many other ones and did they all go in film festivals? No, not necessarily, but I learned something from all those experiences and even the worst days on set, I learned something from that. So if you can go through with that discipline, with the open heart and open mind of everything that you do is a, blessing and you appreciate that and what can i learn from this experience then i think it'll always be new and interesting and fun and uh and continue to collect people with you because they'll breathe life and make you appreciate it too when maybe you're tired and don't know why you're doing it anymore so christine thank you so much um I reached out or you reached out or, you know, and, and, and here we are, we get to have this conversation together. Uh, I'm a better person for it. Thank you for saying yes to me. You really didn't have to, you know, um, it takes a lot of guts to come out in Austin when it's snowing, <laughs> it's it, snowing, it's snowing and, and to meet a stranger essentially. Um, but it means the world to me and people are going to remember this one. I'm yeah. T- but I I'm feel like you. I know you through your work, you know, well, I learned, I learned, 
I, I, I know I feel like I know you because I've watched your work, you know. Yeah, and likewise, and likewise. And please link me up with everything. Um, I'm gonna flip this really, really fast. Uh, link me up with stuff so I can direct people to your work as well. And please like use me anytime you need to promote like your next thing or whatever. Like when when this new movie, if it's gonna make the rounds and you want people to see it, like I wanna be a part of your your press junket. You know? Yeah. I'd love to promote it because I wanna do a part two of this. Yeah. I can learn so much from you, Sensei. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.